Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. And welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight from the left, the right, and the center over the news of the day and the trends of the times. We're back after a lengthy break due to concerns about the coronavirus. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckus join me shortly from their remote locations as we continue to observe social distancing. Some might say anti-social distancing. Our topics this week, protest and contest. Protests from downtown to the plaza and beyond. Contests, which Kansas Republican will face Barbara Bollier in the Senate race. And who will win the Biden veepstakes, plus roasted toast. But we start with our newsmaker segment and welcome back City Council Member Melissa Robinson. She represents the 3rd District. Before joining the council, she served as president of the Kansas City, Missouri School Board. City Council facing a wide spectrum of issues, including the ongoing debate about who should control the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. Councilwoman Robinson, thanks very much for joining us. How are you today? I am well. Thank you for having me and having the conversation. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back on the program. Let's talk about the police department for a moment. You've been an advocate for returning control to the local government. You want the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department to be under local control. Are we getting close? I believe we are getting closer as it relates to looking at what the governance structures could be should local control be returned back to um, the city from a standpoint of making sure that those who are elected on the municipal level have accountability over policing and how our communities are policed. Well, now under the state control, the governor appoints members of the police board. How would you envision local control being handled? You said elections. Will there be elections for police board? We're looking at all of those options now. We certainly want to look at the best practices across the country as it relates to uh, police community relations, as it relates to accountability cr for crime and violence. We have to remember that this came about in terms of uh, why I introduced it was regarding crime and violence and who is ultimately responsible for um, and being accountable to addressing that issue. And so um, this is about making sure that there, there is um, that direct accountability, whether that is a, a management form of accountability to the council, whether that is the council um, appointing members of a police board that represent the districts in which policing happens. Right now, you can see that the, it's skewed and certain um, communities or districts in the city do not have that representation on the current police commission. Um, and so there's, there's um, several models that we can take a look at. Uh, what do you think would be the most advantageous change if control returned to the local level? What will we notice most? Well, I think uh, the most important thing is when you look at uh, police reforms and when you look at um, designing a police department in which the community um, is supportive of, then we can do those things because there's direct accountability. You get to vote on an elected official that represents those values that are going to represent your voice as it relates to policing. So 
I think that that's the most um, advantage that we have as it relates to, to, to having that accountability. Does this have to come through action by the state legislature or can it be done locally by a vote? No, it does have to go to the state legislature. Uh, there's one school of thought that says that, you know, we can have a local election so that the state legislature is very clear about what the citizens of Kansas City want regarding policing. Been a lot of talk across the country and some in Kansas City of this idea of defunding the police department. Uh, do you buy the idea that the department should be defunded in some way? What I found is that people are wanting to address the root causes of crime and violence, and people are wanting us to reallocate funding to address some of those root causes. Those are the emails that I received from hundreds and hundreds of voices is saying, why aren't you utilizing police uh, funding for housing, for health care, for building better parks and addressing the quality of life, which will in turn address crime and violence. And so we do have to begin to look at what are the city's resources and revenues to address those things, and not from a scarcity component, but from what are the things that we want our city to be, and then how do we go about funding that? And that might mean reallocating resources. Uh, we've been through demonstrations and protests in Kansas City, some peaceful, some more violent. Do you think they've been successful? I believe that the protests that are happening um, have definitely garnered the attention of city lawmakers. Um, when we look at some of the things that we've been introducing and that have passed right now, we just passed um, looking at uh, the us getting out of the marijuana uh, penalizing yeah. phase of things. And so we are listening, we're hearing, I think that there's gonna be um, definite change, but we have to move the protests from out um, in the parks to the boardroom and to where some of these decision-making tables are. Gotta stop you there. Thanks very much for coming in. Come back and see us again. Thank you. That's Kansas City, Missouri Council Member Melissa Robinson. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Patrick Tuohy is Senior Fellow of Municipal Policy at the Show Me Institute, a free market think tank. Gwen Grant is President and CEO of the Urban League in Kansas City. Marianne Murray-Simons is a strategic consultant. And Annie Presley is an author, publisher, and GOP fundraiser. Welcome back to all of you. It's good to have you with us. You look a little smaller than you used to, but, but look very good. It is good to be back on the air here at KCPT. This is our first ruckus program since late February because of virus concerns. There are fewer people in the studio, but my friend the teleprompter is still here, so I'm comfortable. Let's begin. Hope all of you are comfortable as well. You're the first panel to do the ruckus show in this new structure, and you're all veterans, so make yourselves proud. Better yet, make me proud. The death of a black man, George Floyd, by a white police officer in Minneapolis brought about protests, demonstrations, and even at times riots in Kansas City, across the nation, and in some foreign capitals that are still reverberating. As the protests began and became more intense, local activists began calling for change. A top priority, a return to local control for the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. There were also demands for police body cams and the firing or resignation of Police Chief Rick Smith. There is also talk in Kansas City and elsewhere of defunding the police. There is even debate about what that means. 
So, Gwen, what do you think it means, and are you in favor of it in Kansas City? Well, you know, I the language defund certainly sends a variety of messages to people. Uh, concerns about abolishing uh, the police department or abolishing law enforcement. What it means to me and what it means to many of those of uh, the activists who are pushing for defunding po the police is really about reallocating funds to areas that can have more impact on crime, uh, to pushing uh, revenue from uh, equipment and adding more officers to investing in social supports that address the, the root causes of crime rather than spending more money on law enforcement, which is, is a response, is a reaction to the system. So we're talking about reallocating for the city council to exercise the local control that it has. It has the power of the purse. So they can reallocate their funds into initiatives that have positive impact in the community, such as uh, improving education, housing, removing blight in, in the inner city, creating jobs. Well, well, pa Patrick, at a time there are more homicides than expected in Kansas City and other crime is taking place, is this the time to cut back on the number of police officers? There may certainly be opportunities to uh, reallocate money within the police department. And I certainly agree with Gren that there are lots of things the city could be doing differently to address some of these uh, basic issues. Uh, but I don't think now is a good time to be reducing the number of police officers we have in Kansas City. We know from research that increasing uniformed officers on the street cuts down on homicides. And we know from a National Bureau of Economic Research study released just in the last two weeks that uh, when police officers uh, do not engage with communities, a crime, including homicide, goes up. But, Hanny, we heard in just the last few days that the police budget's going to be cut by a couple of hundred million dollars. Doesn't that mean there will be cuts to the force? Well, undoubtedly, everything's going to be on the table as far as cuts are concerned. But I think the key is to make sure that those neighborhoods that already feel under siege are the ones who get the most protection. And they're actually asking for protection. They don't want to be left... Um, vulnerable or more, more vulnerable than they already are. So this is a very sticky wicket working with this budget. And no doubt the defunding concept sounds very attractive, but you have to be very careful about how you marshal those assets into those most vulnerable communities. Gwen, give me a quick yes or no. Is Chief Smith going to be fired? Well, you know, time will tell on whether or not he'll be fired. Well, you or want him fired, right? I want him to step, we, we, we asked him to step aside in the best interest of the city, but if they fire him, we're good with that too. Uh, he, uh, you know, he has obstructed justice. His, uh, he's incompetent, his, his record, 33% uh, solve rate under his leadership. Uh, the uh, crime, the solve rate has gone down while crime is going up. He has flooded the zone with more officers and not gotten any result in reducing crime. So to think that we have to have more officers to keep people safe is ridiculous. What you have to do is do more work in communities, have authentic co community police relationships with this, which this department does not do. Marianne, 
Let me go to Marianne here for a second. There's talk again of changing the name of the J.C. Nichols Fountain and J.C. Nichols Parkway because J.C. Nichols was said to be a racist who uh, kept people from living in certain areas of Kansas City, causing segregation. He also is the guy who is responsible for the Country Club Plaza. Do you think these name changes are appropriate and do you think they're about to happen? I think that the community will decide that issue, Mike. I really like what the Parks Board is doing, which is having these listening sessions to be able to get the community's input and get guidance about how this should move forward. I don't know how the situation will resolve itself, but I'm glad the conversations are happening and I'm glad the Parks Board's open to that. Well, Patrick, if the name is changed, that will be the change. Is anything else going to change because of changing the name of the fountain or the street? No, I don't have a problem if the park board wants to consider it. My real concern is that there are opportunities here in Kansas City for us to change the way we do lots of policies, not just policing, but zoning, housing policy, economic development. My fear is that we're going to spend an awful lot of time and, and political capital on things that don't actually address the problems uh, in Kansas City, and that a year from now, we may have changed some statues uh, and some fountains, but we won't have affected the real problem. All right, we're going to have to move to Kansas now. The long-awaited announcement that former Kansas Congressman, now U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, would run for the U.S. Senate to succeed Pat Roberts never came. So with Pompeo out, there are many who are still in. So many, in fact, that the state GOP chairman has been urging some candidates to drop out. The fear is that a crowded field would split and splinter the vote, and that, he concludes, might enable Chris Kobach to win and thereby weaken GOP chances to keep the Senate seat it has held since 1932. Kobach, of course, lost the governor's race to Laura Kelly. Now, nobody knows for sure who can or cannot win. Some, however, think they can, but they can't. However, the probable Democratic nominee, state senator, and Republican-turned-Democrat Barbara Bollier is said by many to have a very good chance. Are you among them, Marianne? Absolutely. I think she's got a great chance. She's out um, walking the street. She's uh, a Mission Hills resident, a doctor, and she's in it for the right reasons. She uh, went into the legislature initially um, at the state level because she is a physician who wants to deal with health care issues. She understood how expensive it was and how access to care is really important to most Kansans and wanted to fix that issue. So campaigning on that and moving that discussion to Washington, I think, will resonate with a lot of Kansans. Well, Congressman Roger Marshall, Annie, is also a doctor. Doesn't he care about health care and people? He does, and I, he's an aggressive campaigner. He's been a good fundraiser, and I think he has a good message. There are others also in the primary who will be aggressive as well. But I, I think um, their, their uphill battle is going to be great. Are you comfortable with the idea of a Democratic senator coming from Kansas, a position Republicans have held since 1932, the first year FDR was in the White House? It will be a shock to Red Kansas. Uh, it indeed will be a shock. Patrick, you think it is unlikely that Chris Kobach could win the general election if he were the nominee? 
I think if we've learned anything from the last few years is not to make political predictions like that. You know, I understand the criticisms of Kobach from the last race. He wasn't uh, energetic enough, didn't raise enough money. But we are in crazy times, and I will leave the decision of Kansas Senate up to Kansans. Well, state government in Kansas has been through a lot the last few months. There has been debate and bickering between the legislature controlled by Republicans and the governor, Laura Kelly, who's a Democrat. Uh, there was a one-day meeting of the state legislature. There's a lot involved in this, Marianne. I know it's complicated to summarize it, but give us a brief idea of what has happened between the legislature and the governor. Let's step back from it a little bit and overlay the whole COVID pandemic, which has been the focus of the governor's attention over the last several months. Her main objective is to make sure that Kansans are safe. And she has kept that on a daily basis throughout um, the last several months. And I applaud her for having done that. She also, as a former legislator herself, is a uh, collaborator. And she unfortunately was in the position of being questioned on her authority related to decisions she was making about stay-at-home orders and keeping Kansans safe. And the Republican-led legislature was um, feeling that she was usurping their authority and the freedom of Kansans. So in the 11th hour, the two sides came together and agreed to um, allow the governor to have certain powers and the legislature to have powers of their own. And uh, it gave her the opportunity to continue to do what she's doing, which is trying to make sure that as many Kansans as possible stay safe and stay alive. We're kind of pressed for time, so I'm going to ask everybody to answer this quickly. Uh, this is for everyone. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 shutdown, has your confidence in government at all levels, A, increased, B, decreased, C, stayed the same, or D, something else? Patrick. Uh, definitely decreased. All right. Gwen? Decreased. Annie? Stayed the same. Marianne? Decreased. The correct answer, by the way, is decreased, which I think three of the four people said. Hey, 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 hey. Who expects bureaucracy to do what you need it to do on a moment's notice? No way. <laughs> there is no longer debate about who will be the Democratic nominee for president. It will be, despite my many predictions to the contrary, Joe Biden. The big question now is who will he select as his running mate? He has already said it will be a woman, and the recent trauma of the George Floyd murder suggests there is real pressure for Biden to pick a woman of color. Now, it won't be the first time a woman has been the vice presidential nominee. Geraldine Ferraro ran with Walter Mondale in 1988. Twenty years later, John McCain picked Sarah Palin. Neither Mondale nor McCain became president. What factors should Joe Biden consider as he makes the vice presidential choice? We'll start with Annie, then go directly to Patrick. You know, there's some traditional um, techniques that are used in the strategy of choosing vice presidential nominees. Oftentimes it's geography, you're looking for electoral votes, ideology, you're looking for a balance in the two. A, a great campaigner, somebody who's a good fundraiser, somebody who's willing to hit the road. 
certainly someone who has a clean record is helpful and um, somebody who won't upstage the presidential candidate. Obviously, Biden is looking for a woman, preferably someone of color, apparently. And most importantly, I think he's looking for someone who is uh, presidential because his, he's going to be 78 years old in November. So these are all components of looking for a great nominee as vice president. And he, I think he's got some good ones. He would be the oldest president ever elected if he is indeed elected. Gwen, Correct. when we say someone uh, is a woman of color, we're talking about African-American women? Is, is that oh, no. what we expect Biden to uh, select? There are others in the running. Oh, no, I'm asking Gwen, though, if that's what women oh. of color essentially means. Well, I think, you know, if you look at, at who's in the running, it would essentially mean a, uh, an African-American woman. You've got uh, Val Demings, you've got Kamala Harris, I think, or, or two uh, black American women who are, are being uh, vetted for the job. So, yeah. And the mayor, of, like, mayor of Atlanta and the mayor of Washington, D.C., among them. Yes, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms. All of those, uh, I believe, would be would be a great choice. There's also a new one in the running, um, Representative Karen Bass from Los Angeles. She's awesome. She's um, kind of be newest being vetted. I think she'd be fantastic as well. But there's a Latina, Michelle Grisham, who's the governor of New Mexico, and a mixed race, a Thai and Indonesian, Tammy Duckworth, who's a senator from um, Kentucky. So uh, there, there are all kinds of choices. Patrick, it's, I, think, I think Vice President uh, Biden should choose somebody who knows CPR, and uh, that's the only advice his campaign will get pa from me. Patrick, Biden has suggested if elected, he might not seek a second term. So if that were to be the case, by selecting a vice presidential nominee for 2020, is he not in fact setting up a nominee for 2024? Well, that's always the case with vice presidential picks. I think uh, what remains to be seen is the campaign he runs uh, we'll all be interested to see what he chooses, but this is not a unique choice in that. Presidents are always choosing perhaps their successor. Mary Ann, uh, Joe Biden is leading in all the presidential polls. Uh, what is he doing right? Listening to people and being empathetic, having a heart, uh, which we're not seeing on the other side of the campaign. And I think that is resonating with many, many Americans. Annie, is it too early to say the election's been decided and Joe Biden will be the next president? I don't think it's too early, but whatever Joe Biden is doing and whatever President Trump is doing is um, exactly the path we're seeing right now to a, a Biden victory. So uh, they need to both just stay the course if the, if the outcome is... Uh, what we're seeing now. Gwen, what advice would you offer to the president to improve his poll numbers? I think what he needs to do is stop engaging in racist behaviors. He needs to uh, pay attention to the science and uh, demonstrate that it's important to wear a mask and to stop having mass gatherings and putting, putting others' health at risk. He needs to have compassion uh, and respect for the humanity of black people. I mean, there's a lot of things he needs to do. All right, and now it is time for Roast and Toast, where the Ruckheads have 30 seconds each to opine, define, or malign. And we're going to start this time with Marianne. Doing the right thing has never been more important, as many are doing on a daily basis in these very trying times. An outstanding example of a Kansan who thought beyond his family and shared what he could 
was Troy, Kansas farmer Dennis Runke. As you may remember, Dennis had one extra N95 mask beyond what his family needed, despite the fact that his wife only has one lung, and he wrapped it up and sent it to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to share with the frontline worker, a simple act that reverberated across the nation. This selfless act, done for no reason other than to help a fellow American, has really stuck with me and should remind us all to think beyond ourselves. Dennis Runke is a true patriot. Are you thinking beyond yourself, Patrick? <laughs> I'm thinking of Kansas City. A roast to the Greater Kansas City Chamber of Commerce for their hypocrisy. In a recent Business Journal column, the Chamber CEO claimed inclusive prosperity as a priority. But in reality, the Chamber supports economic development subsidies which allow wealthy companies such as Burns & McDonald, Cerner, H&R Block, Waddell and & Reed, and J.E. Dunn to build monuments to their corporate ego with funds diverted from poor and minority school districts. If the Chamber meant what it said, it would oppose development subsidies such as those now being offered to Blue Scope Construction and the renamed Bravo Hotel. Until they do, they remain part of the problem. Annie? I'd like to toast those who peacefully protested and roast those, and roast those who absolutely ruined those efforts by looting and destroying property that was unnecessary and totally negated the efforts of those peaceful protesters. All right, and Gwen? I'm roasting Teresa Lohr for her strong advocacy for systemic racism and perpetuating racially disparate tax abatement policies. She protects funds for predominantly white Northland schools and gives away funds for black districts. If you perpetuate racism, you are a racist. If black lives really matter, you have to be an anti-racist. I know you all join me in wishing our producer, Eric Motter, a happy birthday today. There's no place he would rather spend a birthday than in the studio producing ruckus. And finally, <laughs> here is a toast to recently named White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany. She's articulate, smart, has a law degree from Harvard, and is able to respond to partisan questions from allegedly impartial reporters with appropriately partisan answers. And she's on television a lot, so I guess it's also a plus. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, she is not unattractive. And that is Ruckus for this week. We're back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks for watching and good night.